The Crux of the Matter, Episode 26, Pastors and Tech, Part 2. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter. This is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Oh, I just like the sound of that, Scott. <laughs> I, I don't know if I like the sound of it, but it is accurate. It is accurate. It's, uh, it's yeah. good. That is such a... Such a crazy vocational change. I can't even. Uh, yeah. I can't even imagine. But uh, yeah. it's all good. It's all good. Uh, last here we week, are. here we are. Exactly. Last week we talked uh, about kind of did a beginning of a, a discussion on pastors and tech, and this week we are going to continue that discussion. We kind of talked broadly speaking about about technology, how some of the how the accessibility of things had changed, how we've used. Use tech for studying uh, this, studying some. Uh, I thought that this week we would talk a little bit about tech as a way of communicating with parishioners. And, uh, and then if we, if we wrap that up in a timely fashion, we can move on. But I thought that's where we would start. Uh, do you okay. believe in communicating with parishioners, Scott? Yeah, I'm in favor of it in principle, and uh, technology definitely offers many other opportunities in different ways. You know, I mean, the most obvious thing is social media and, you know, how you use social media. And they really ought to have a section of a class at the seminary or some kind of a handout to pastors about net presence or ethics of Internet usage or something like that, I think. Something. Yeah, I yeah. I totally agree. Um I have uh, I have con- considered. I remember uh, more than one more than one occasion uh, reading uh, Bo Geertz's Hammer of God. You remember that book, I'm sure. Oh, sure, sure. And and there's a couple incidents in there where uh, someone is sick and they send someone to go get the pastor, and and so then he has to you know get on a horse or get in a carriage or whatever and ride for three hours to go make a visit. And it's and it kind of struck me that in in a scenario like that, the pastor has to be a sort of a stationary object. People have to be yeah. able to find you because yeah. if you're gone, you know they don't have a you know there there is no GPS tracking chip on the pastor. Um, there there's not even a cell phone or anything. They have to find you. Um, whereas today, and, and I expect. I expect that this would be different from smaller to larger parishes. I don't know. Um, but today, anybody theoretically could get a hold of the pastor at just about any time of day or night. At and any location. Yeah, at any location. And so the pastor's accessibility is significantly higher. It, 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 it's like the commoditization of the pastor's time. <laughs> it, okay. The pastor's time because becomes cheaper because it is because he is always available. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and that could be that could be cell phone, that could be text messaging, that could be Facebook, that can be whatever. And and I would I don't know. I guess I would argue that that's about seventy four percent good. Yeah. Something like because that. Because then that way, if people have a pastoral emergency or a Christ, spiritual crisis, they can relatively easily find you no matter where you are. You might be at the coffee shop working on a sermon or you might be in your office 
typing up something, but because they can find you on Facebook or they can text you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So as I said, I think that that is mostly good. I like, again, as a matter of principle, being available for my parishioners. I think that that's a good idea. Um, There is, however, also uh, some real challenges with that. And that is that that now um, I really am on 24 hours a day. Yeah. My my time, uh, when anybody can get a hold of me at any moment for any reason whatsoever, um, now I am uh, I am constantly I'm kind of I'm I'm uh, the equivalent of nine one one. You know, I, I, <laughs> I have to get a hold of people. People can call me. And as I said, I think that that's mostly good, but that also presents some interesting challenges as the pastor. You think of the pastor's family. Um, I think that that's a part of why, at least in my family, and I don't know, maybe it's the same in yours, maybe not, Scott. But in, in my family, um, my my phone, my computer, all of these sort of things are, are kind of associated with with work. Oh, sure. And and because they are work, uh, there is a, a perception that if I'm using my computer, that must mean that I am that I am working. And if I am working, then I might as well not be home. I should go to church or do something. So there's so I, I don't know. I, and I don't have any kind of brilliant answers on that. This is more of an observation than a as to the as to the challenge than anything else, um, I, I don't know what was it what was it like in uh, in Elmhurst? How many people in your parish do you think used Facebook? <clears throat> oh, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, percentage wise. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I mean, as far as people that used it and engaged with me, maybe maybe 10 percent you know i mean okay. in ter- you're saying facebook right yeah I, yeah i'm thinking um, specifically facebook this time although i mean i think the numbers are going to be less with twitter and instagram and other things yeah. although i'm sure that you would also see some some age distinctions kind of bear out with those too i didn't have that many adults on facebook who engaged with me there were some um but uh, not. I don't think it was all that many. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing ten percent, and and that's of total membership. If you're talking about worship attendance membership, um, you know, double that. I suppose yeah. twenty twenty five percent. Right. Right. Were, were people that are on Facebook who engaged with me. I did occasionally know of youth who were on Facebook who didn't friend me. And my policy was always never to friend children or youth unless they friended you and me. Um, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to ever be seeking out the student on, you know, if they were, if they were under 18 on Facebook, if they didn't want to be a cyber stalker pastor. No, no, not at all. And if one of them had friend requested me, I would accept. But, um, so there were probably more if you count those kids who, who never sought me out, but, Hmm. um, interesting. Anyway, it's just a, that's just a off the cuff observation. I, I remember in Kenosha and, and so this would have been four years ago, and I certainly think that that is true here too. That in Kenosha, of the people that were kind of regulars, you know, people that I actually saw, 
not, uh-huh. you know, excluding delinquents, etc. Um, everybody in the congregation from age 20 to age 60 had at least one person in their family that was on Facebook. Every single one. Mm. And there were more than a few people that were over 60 that also had, and there certainly were some that were under 20, but I was kind of counting minors as members of one of those families. Sure. So if I, so, and and that is more or less true here. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because my congregation here is on the one hand older, but on the other hand is also more tech savvy than the Kenosha church. So um, I think those two kind of balance each other out. If uh, the fastest way for me to communicate with parishioners is by either uh, sending out an email or Facebook or a text, no question about it. And uh, because there are just so many people and I can actually see these numbers of, of how many people um, engage those. And I've taken a, a, a slightly different tactic on, on, on Facebook friending than, than you did. Although I can definitely understand the, uh, understand the, the cyber stalking concern. And my approach has, has essentially been, if someone is a member of my congregation, I'm going to ask to friend them on Facebook period, mm-hmm. whether, um, whether they're 12 or 90 or whatever. But if they are a member of my congregation, then I'm going to ask to friend them on Facebook. Obviously, they can choose not to. Right, but, right. But and and that it, and so in that respect, it's sort of the it, it's the mirror of what you're saying. <laughs> um, and that is, I don't make a distinction at all between ages, ages, etc. If they are on Facebook, I'm going to ask them. Um, and that has largely been been good, and I have had lots of uh, meaningful and and very fruitful conversations that began because of that accessibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, no doubt about it. I've got plenty of of um, of youth and and young people, not necessarily youth, but um, uh, plenty of people that I have been able to engage in conversations with there that I, that I would not have otherwise. And oh, yeah, definitely. that is good for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of people that will, and I think it's, you know, it has to do with some people are more introverted. Some people are more extroverted. You know, you've got those who are very outgoing, who don't mind talking to the pastor and, you know, are comfortable talking with someone they barely know, um, an adult, uh, an authority figure, um, a guy who wears a robe, <laughs> right, um, right. other, other people, you know, I think are more comfortable interga- interacting with you or engaging with you via technology using, inter- you know, using email or, or whatever that, that little buffer, that little barrier makes them feel, um, I don't know, protected somehow. So I think that the, for the more introverted people, yeah, I think for the more introverted people that, uh, using Facebook or something can be a plus, it can actually help them come out of their shell a little bit and talk to you, which is, which is, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I have a, um, I have an ongoing conversation with my deaconess about this, uh, about this topic and, uh, 
this will be a good test to find out if she's still listening to the podcast, Scott. So I, I kind of like oh, that. Okay. Um, okay. Only because I like to tease her. Uh, she doesn't do Facebook. She doesn't do Twitter. She doesn't do any any of those kind of things. And um, and and we sort of go back and forth. And her and and her argument, at least in part, is is that she wants the uh, she wants the interaction to be. Um, to be much more face to face, that it's too impersonal, that it that it tends to uh, it tends to become either informational, lends itself too easily to gossip, and uh, and all you know, and and heaven knows there are all kinds of pitfalls when it comes mm-hmm. to social media that uh, that goes along, um, and and my my argument back has been it is that I, I do see all of those pitfalls. I think all of those are possible and true. Um, however, uh, I use a telephone. I use a, yeah. I use a cell phone. I'm not expecting people to come, come get me and, you know, ride a horse to their place 30 miles or whatever that, and that because such a preponderance of our parishioners are, are on these social media sites in different capacities in my mind, I have, I have an obligation to be present in these places. Now, to what degree is that an obligation? That's going to depend on the circumstance. And to what degree is that a function of my own personality and my own interests as a technophile? Obviously, all of those things play, play in, but it does, um, but it, I, I think it does serve as a as a pretty interesting uh, differences in approach on how to on how to look at these things. I think she looks at them and sees the dangers, yeah. and and um, and and that also that she personality wise is just not interested in doing that, which is all fine. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting challenge. Well, every technology, no matter what it is divides us from others and can, you know, I mean, there, and, and has a benefit, you know, anytime, any type of communication technology sure, is, a, is putting a medium. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're putting a medium between you and the other person. Right. You know, that could be true of paper and pen. I'm writing you a letter instead of talking to you in person. Yep. You know, there's, there's, you know, any technology. And it's also important to remember that every technology has had its critics and those critics have often been correct to an extent. Yeah, um, I, I I think I would argue um, are almost always correct to some extent. Yeah. The oh, question yeah. is how does one evaluate the the cost benefit analysis of any of any given technology, and, and right. in this context specifically for for the sake of the church? How do well I, I, I as a pastor. Um, look at these, look at these technologies as a way of, of furthering my ministry of the gospel. That's kind of, that's my question, at least, as I've tried to think through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, any of these technologies can, um, can help us further the gospel by, by bringing us more contact points with individuals, for sure. 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 And, um, and today, I, I don't know about you, but when it comes to visitation, you know, home visits, let's say, it is difficult for me to fathom doing home visits without telling people I'm coming ahead of time. First of all, 
I don't want to have to, you know, my congregation spread all over, all over a 75 mile radius. I don't want to drive for 45 minutes to go someplace to realize that they're at a soccer game with their kids. Um, so I'm going to communicate ahead of time, but in many instances, going and visiting somebody's home directly, I think on one hand can be a, a great thing, but another hand can be perceived as being highly intrusive. And where is the where is the line? And ha- and and so, how do those different ways of interacting with these people, uh, given our given our culture, given our space? How do we do these things so that they're actually helpful and not and not either creating guilt or or becoming pushy? I don't know. It's a it is a a, a very messy thing. That's for sure. So if you'd figure that out, Scott, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Okay. I'll work on it. Great. Great. Now, um, so so did you uh did you like do a, a Facebook page for your church? Was that kind of a part of? Mm-hmm. Um, website. Were you involved with the website at all at your parish? I was, but not, not, um, I mean, with those are two different questions with the Facebook page. Yeah. I was much more involved. I mean, in terms of setting it up, but it wasn't just me. There were a couple of other people that could post to it, you know, as administrators. And, um, um, and then the Facebook page, I have had a web, someone in the congregation who did all the programming and, and, posting a material, but you know, my, my input was merely here, put this article on or make sure that this gets, you know, changed. And, um, and, and there was, there were regular conversations about it. I mean, we were regularly communicating about communication. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a a tough one. We could do a whole, I, I think we could do a whole show just on websites and kind of what role, plus or minus they play and kind of this is this is sort of the front door in many respects for congregations this is in many ways maybe even more important than having a nice sign out in front of your church i don't i don't know and maybe and maybe i'm wrong on that too it's uh, uh that that's kind of an interesting kind of an interesting challenge with it as well well as you know most people will check the website before they worship with you and, um, you know, if we're talking about guests and newcomers to town, they're going to they're going to check your website out first. Most of the vast majority of people, you know, aren't going to phone you, aren't going to show up cold. They're going to check the website. Sure. Sure. Exactly. And um, and if they uh, in many respects, at least they may they may be looking for uh, YouTube videos or right, audio right. versions of sermons or whatever. I'm very blessed to have someone in my congregation that is kind of uh, kind of fanatical in a good way about doing about doing videos of, um, of, of sermons and of services and stuff and he'll bring them to people. He does all kinds of things um, and uh, and so he actually posts my sermons up on our we have a, our church has a YouTube channel and he posts my sermons pretty much every week there. So, um, and, and and they don't get what I would call a ton of traffic, but they serve more as much as anything as kind of an introduction to the congregation for people. So if they want to go and, you know, and watch a sermon, they're going to see that the sermons aren't too long. Well, that's probably a good sign. Um, and, and, uh, hear that we actually proclaim the gospel. At least I hope that's what they're going to hear. So that, that served as a, as another, 
entryway for uh, for a conversation. I'd, I'd put it that way. Yeah, same thing here. We had a um, we you know a YouTube channel and the same thing. You know, just put posting the sermons up there. Um, we never posted the music because I was never clear about the copyright. Yeah, us either. Issues that. Yeah. You know, so any type of music or even hymns and stuff like that, I wasn't sure what the copyright thing was. So we just avoid it. But um, with sermons, you know, that's different. And and I would get I would get emails from the traffic once in a while. Really, one of the benefits of it and other other than newcomers are my own parishioners who are away. You know, I've got I have a lot of snowbirds, um, you know, people that go away for the winter, go south for the winter. And but still want to listen to sermons. And and, you know, I I heard from older folks all the time about, oh, you know, I still listen to the sermons, even though we were in Florida all winter long. Yeah. So so, you know, it's it's a way of expanding the the, you know, points of contact in terms of your ministry, even with your own parishioners. Yeah, I had a, and it's uh, free to do. And it's free. Yeah. I had a, a parishioner shut in. Uh, a man and his wife, his wife had MS. And I remember going to visit them one time and, uh, and, you know, and just, and I was relatively new here at that point and visited with them. I just, you know, just kind of talking and asked if they wanted copies of the sermons and I'll never forget that, you know, he's, he's probably mid seventies, upper seventies says, Oh, I don't need you to get copies of the sermons. I watch them on my TV every week. It's like, well, how do you watch them on your TV? Well, I've got an Apple TV and it has a YouTube thing. And so I just bookmarked uh, our church's YouTube channel and every and every Sunday afternoon we go to the YouTube channel and we watch the and we watch the uh, watch the sermon. <laughs> that's pretty hilarious, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's an elaborate process to figure that out. I couldn't figure, I don't know how to do that. I'd have to think about that. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I thought too. It's like, you know, if you know what you're looking for, Mm -hmm. you can probably figure it out, but to just sort of do that off the cuff. um, And it, and it has made me think occasionally that would it make, would it be a benefit for a church to have tutorials or something like this for how to, how to do these kind of things for people. Um, cause oh, yeah. you know, there's any kind of set top box, uh, an Apple TV, Roku, um, Amazon fire, whatever it is, any of those set top box things, they all to a greater or lesser degree, they all have YouTube channels. And mm-hmm. so if you have something like that, it would not be hard to have someone in your someone in your congregation say, "I'm going to go over to these people's places." Maybe the church says, "Okay, instead of uh, instead of us spending three dollars and mailing you this disc every week, we're going to spend fifty dollars and we're going to give you a Roku, and and we're going to send somebody over to set this up so that you can go and watch these things anytime you want." Yeah, I don't know. It's probably a silly idea. But uh, well, but it has it, it it does highlight again how do we how do we do this but maybe even more significantly how do we do that kind of thing in a way that actually draws people to the church not yeah. making it so that they feel like they've already got church I can do it on my TV and I don't have to actually come to church you know yeah. so it doesn't become a church on demand sort of mentality but something else. 
Well, but you know, you, you know, you're talking about your shut-ins or you're talking about sure. people in your parish that are away for the weekend. I know. I mean, I can see, I can see the danger. I mean, again, every, every technology has its potential misuse. Yep. That's the truth. That's the truth indeed. Well, I think we should uh, wrap up this, uh, this portion of our conversation here, Scott, and, uh, and move on. You can find this episode of The Crux of the Matter at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 26. Uh, and I hope you will go and check those out. We have a lovingly crafted show notes every week that have links to all of the various things that we talk about in the episodes. Uh, you will also find links on how to communicate with us either via Twitter or Facebook or email or uh, any other way that you uh, would likely to do. And I hope you will consider doing so. And I think we should move to our uh, joy list for the week. So, Scott, what's bringing you joy this week? Okay. Um, This is not a tool. Uh, This is not something that will educate you. This is purely entertainment. And, you know, we haven't done a lot of those joy bringers as just entertainment. But I discovered, because I'm sitting here by myself um, having moved to California without my family for a few weeks. And um, I'm watching a lot more Netflix on my tablet than, you know, probably need to. But I discovered a television program called Ascension. Ascension. Have you heard of it? Yeah. I've have you heard of this? I've heard of it, but I don't know anything about it. All right. Well, I won't give a lot away, but it's it's only six episodes long. And I, I'm hoping to death that they make more. I think they are. And, um, it might've been on sci-fi channel or something like that. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a basic cable program and, um, it is okay. The premise is your 1963 cold war. I do know it's ringing a bell. Yeah. It's ringing a bell. It's the cold war. And so the U S government has a secret pro you know, a secret project of launching a generation ship. This is um, a spaceship that is being sent to a very distant galaxy to a place where they think habitable planets might be. And they, they fill the ship with, you know, 400 or 500 people because it's going to, you know, they need to have doctors. They need to have nurses. You know, they need to have all the different professions because they're going to be on this ship for 100 years. And, uh, and that's the premise. So you've got this crew and group of, uh, you know, members of a ship that were launched in 1963. So even though it might be 2015, they're still living in 1963 technology, 1963 right. fashions. Now, were it's they really, in, like, in like cryogenic sleep or something like that? No, no, no. It was, no, they were not in cryogenics at all. They just were – it just meant that there would be a couple of generations would live just simply on this ship. Okay. Before they ever got to the place, interesting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the idea of a, of a generation ship. Is that there were people? So, so it's set in the current time. So it's. I'm not giving much away. It's set in 2015, but the people are still living 1963 because that was, you know, with some with some changes, you know, with some advancements, but not 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 as much as has happened on Earth. 
And um, it's very fascinating. I mean, it's a really interesting concept of, okay, if you took, let's say we took a crew of 500 people, put them on a ship, knowing that none of those people are going to see their destination because it's going to take 100 years to get there. And not only are none of their, uh, none of those crew members going to see it, but their children and grandchildren might not see it. And it's their mm-hmm. grandchildren that most likely will be the ones that colonize the planet. And so you got these people that are going to live their whole lives aboard the ship. So it's just a very interesting sci-fi thought experiment that I thought was, you know, really, really clever. And, and, um, just to say this, it's got some great narrative twists. So if you like that kind of thing, you're going to really get a kick out of it. There were a couple of, there were at least two or three times in these, there's only six episodes. There were at least two or three times where my jaw literally dropped. Hmm. So I think, I think if you like that kind of thing, it's entertainment. You'll enjoy these a great deal. Cool. I'll, uh, I will definitely check it out. I haven't watched it, but I uh, knew what you were talking about once you were explaining it a little bit. Yeah, well, you'll, my, you'd uh, like it. You'd like good. it. I'll, I will definitely check it out. Well, my, uh, my joy bringer for this week is a book. Uh, the name of the book is The Maze Runner. I don't know. You may have uh, – it was made into a, uh, was made into a movie not, not too long ago, maybe last year. I think that the, uh, I think that the, second, the second volume of this series – Will be uh, out in movie form in the uh, in the fall. Uh, it's written by a man named James Dashner, and uh, essentially, this is what I would call young adult dystopian future stuff. So it's similar to the Divergent series, the Hunger Games. Um, you've got this whole genre that is really, I, I think, kind of popped up in the last in the last 10 years, let's say, that or has really kind of had new life put into it in the last five to 10 years of um, of society has collapsed. There's either some sort of disease or there's because of war, whatever. Society has collapsed and now we've got some weird situation going on where people are put into some place and and it's the reader's job to figure out what's going on. How did they end up at this place? Uh, sometimes they're first person, sometimes they're third person, um, and uh, and and all of those different volumes are uh, are are similar in that respect. I'm in the second volume right now. The second volume is called the Scorch Trials, um, and uh, and and I enjoy it. I I think it's I don't know I I. I th- I think I like them a little bit better than the Hunger Games series. That that series got a little bit tedious to me. Um, but like the Divergent series, Divergent series first volume was absolutely the best, and then they went downhill fairly quickly, in my opinion. Um, I did enjoy the first volume, but a part of what makes this this kind of writing odd or interesting is is that with this completely rebuilt world. Um, there are always going to be these, these kind of basic ethical questions that are going to come up, you know, is it, uh, is it permissible? Is it right to allow one person to die, uh, for the sake of, for the sake of the other 20, you know, and not make it their choice to die, but to kill some Mm -hmm. one person for the sake of the 20. Um, You know, there's just all kinds of, uh, all kinds of moral ethical things. Of course, the concept of this genre is not 
is not brand new. I mean, we had Mad Max, which was what, 30 years ago. Um, but, but this coming out as a young adult series is what I find very, very, uh, it's interesting that why, why is this now the uh, tween and teenager, uh, type writing? Have you read any of these kind of books, Scott? I've read the hunger games. You did. Okay. Yeah. I read the hunger games. Yeah, I did. I liked them fine. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't love them, but I liked the first one and and I read the other couple. I think there were three. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, they're okay. I do read a fair amount. You know, when I read sci-fi, it's often, not always, but you know, frequently I read these YA things because A, there's just a lot of it. B, because I'm interested pastorally in what young people are reading. Um, but B, because they do tend to go with these dystopian things. And, and I've got one in mind, in fact, a series in mind for maybe one of our future episodes as a joy bringer um, that I want to bring up that you made me think of. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, I often get get sent on these little rabbit holes because of my daughters. I have one daughter that's 14, another that's 12. And so they're always reading uh, you know, and they're they're reading all kinds of stuff all the time. My, they're they're really both voracious readers. I'm staring at a stack of books that I have to bring back before I leave for vacation tomorrow, and I'm going to say that there are about seventy five books, maybe <laughs> something like that. Uh, it's a lot of books, and uh, and so they're they're always Papa. You got to read this one. You got to read this, and. Uh, and and this is one of them that that my oldest daughter suggested I read, and you know, we'll see. I've yeah. I haven't I have enjoyed it. It um wh- one of the things that always fascinates me about this book, this these books, and I've read probably a couple dozen books in this in this genre, is that I cannot remember one of them that had any remote religious reference at all. Yeah, it right. Is, it is as if. God and churches and there being an eth- ethical basis for, you know, why do we do, why is one thing right, one thing wrong? It is as if it never existed. And yeah. that fascinates me that uh, that this whole genre it cuts out such an integral part of human life. Yeah. So that's, right. that is interesting and obviously more than a little bit sad. Very true. All right, my friend, I think that should do us for this week. Do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our dear listeners? No, no. Just uh, remember the dangers and pitfalls of technology. But, uh, you know, as tools, they can be really it can be very useful depending on how it is utilized. Amen. That'll do us. And thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.